Welcome to season two of the Love Good Podcast, where you learn how to love what is good so you can become what you love and change the world. This podcast is brought to you by our patrons, a community of intentional consumers who curate music and books based on the transcendentals of beauty, truth, and goodness. Join us each week as we sit down with artists and thought leaders to chat about media, culture, and what it means to be human. We're so happy you're here. Welcome to the Love Good Podcast, everybody. This is your host, Jimmy Mitchell. You're listening to Season 2, Episode 11. Today, I'm sitting down with Dave Radford of The Gray Havens, all right? I don't know if you've heard of The Gray Havens yet. If you're one of our patrons, you've been listening to their music for about a month now. They have a brand new album out called She Waits. Honestly, this is my favorite album of 2018. The only thing that even comes close is maybe Songs of Experience by U2 and The Greatest Showman. So if you know me, that's kind of the biggest endorsement ever, all right? So The Grey Havens, I've become a geek fan for them. Uh, Dave and his wife, Leisha, probably met, I don't know, five plus years ago, and they started doing music together, and this is maybe their third project, and it is their best to date. I'm so excited for you to hear some of the music from it on this episode, but also to hear some of the stories behind these songs. And if you are as big of a fan as I am by the end of the show, stick around because we're going to have a very exciting opportunity for you to become a Love Good patron and to get this beautiful new album from the Grey Havens, as well as a brand new Christmas album from Matt Marr, a children's book by Matt Marr, a wall calendar, an ornament, so many cool and exciting things. So stick around at the very end to learn how you can become a patron for free and really begin, if you haven't already, rallying behind artists who really get what beauty beauty and truth and the human experience are all about. So we'll be back in just a few moments with Dave Radford of the Grey Havens. But one day soon when the sparks all bloom in the chase and back the dark, I'm gonna see you again on the gold street standing next to me. I know I'm gonna see you again. Darling, won't be long to let the trace of trouble Welcome to the Love Good Podcast, everybody. We're sitting down with a very special guest today, Dave Radford of the Great Havens. How you doing, Dave? Doing good. Thanks for having me. Dude, I've become a huge fan of yours in the last couple of months, specifically. Thanks. And I know there's a lot of story, I'm sure, behind you and your wife, Ali. No, Leisha. There you go. Yep. Beautiful name, Leisha. And just how you guys got this whole thing started, but let's just, you know, maybe begin with just a little bit of banter here. Like you've only been in Nashville for a few years. Correct. You've seen some changes, but like you basically came in the midst of a lot of change. Exactly. You're originally from... Well, I was born in Kent, Ohio. Kent. My wife was born in a suburb of Chicago called Algonquin, or that's where she grew up. And so I moved there in high school to a town in Chicago called... Near... Uh, in the Burbs. In the called, Burbs. It's just... We say Chicago land because it's pretty encompassing, but it's called Crystal Lake, Illinois. It's where we met, and 
That's yeah. Cool. So originally born in Chicago, in Ohio. Yeah. Well, there are worse things, you know. My dad's Correct. from Cleveland. Yes. You know, so we get it. <laughs> now I just spent a few weeks in Joliet, Illinois. So this okay. would be like one of the western suburbs. I of Chicago. went paintballing in Joliet, Illinois. Well, I believe that? for my bachelor party. Dang. And what a it great was idea. the end of the day, yeah. and there was this huge fight. I we never. I'm, I don't know if I'd ever formally paintballed before. Dang! But once you get past like the first few times you get hit, yeah, it's it's fine. Like the, that fir- <sighs> the first time you're like, oh my gosh, like what is this gonna feel like? It's yeah. just. <laughs> can be terrible it's a real welt though that, that it is I, mean, I got shot talking. in the face from mask through the mask oh dang. so it exploded like right before the eye visor yeah. but I, that was like a anyway don't have to talk about that but. almost kind of one of those reckonings yes you know? uh, well i'll tell you the thing that drives me crazy though is i can't keep my mask from fogging up it also stinks of everybody else's bo because i'm always borrowing somebody else's mask oh yeah so i'm all That'll about the paintball it. but i'm even more so about chicago as a as a real like interesting place of culture i'm sure there's a lot more live music than i'm even aware of but for you to have come from you know the midwest mm-hmm. to you know the buckle of the bible belt the heart of the southeast i would say nashville is a the cultural capital of this part of the country. Hmm. What's that been like? You know, so you've obviously stepped into a creative community. I think mm-hmm. I, I first met you guys or heard about you guys through Jenny and Tyler. Yeah. You've clearly plugged in, but w- what have you thought so far? Well, we came here because we, I was, before we jumped into the Grey Havens full time, I was part of a dueling pianos band. Get out of here, yeah. dude. So me and a friend, dear friend, to this day, we started this dueling pianos company in Chicago, and we would play weddings and corporate events and things like that. And so cool. once I had transitioned out of that, there was nothing work-wise that was keeping us in the Chicagoland area. And so it was come time to make the record before this past one. It was called Ghost of a King, and we knew we were going to be needing to be in Nashville for a long period of time. So it was either came to a place where I needed to be away from Alicia for six weeks mm. or we just moved to Nashville. Yeah. And we didn't want to be apart. So we just decided, let's move to Nashville. That's so cool. So it's been great. The difference is, I mean, it, it's just night and day as far as the sense of community here, just the ease with which you can talk to somebody and they immediately kind of get your life if you mention that you're a, a touring musician. Yeah. Yeah. Is refreshing and just the, being the able wind to, patterns are are a little different, I'd say. The wind patterns? I mean in Chicago you're not you're not oh, like I see. getting knocked over by gusts of wind yeah. left and right. I'd much prefer the weather here. I don't like really cold and I don't like really hot. Yeah. So it's a trade off. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway, but yeah, we love it here a lot. We're we're trying to get closer to the city right now. We're in Spring Hill. Oh way yeah. Down I'll south. be down there tonight. So that, that's okay. pretty cool though. And, and and to step into a place where there's obviously a, a very established culture for creatives yes. is a big deal. Even if you're just hopping on planes in and out of the Nashville airport, yeah. you got a guitar in your hand. In your case, you probably not travel with a keyboard very much, but no. you know, people get an, an immediate sense of, all right, this is what you're about. And yes. I get it. And even if you got friends, this is what I love about being in Nashville and traveling as much as I do is people don't get really upset when you're gone a lot because yes. they, they, they respect the lifestyle. Yeah. They understand. Know? They understand it. So that's really cool. Really, really cool. And then how did you and your wife meet? Like, this is all the behind the story stuff. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm, I'm crazy about your music. And yeah. Our patrons are freaking out right now. Several weeks into listening to, to the new project. They're loving Thanks, it. Man. But I'm so curious to hear more of the backstory. Well, we met in British Columbia on a mission trip. I just got back from college. I had done this mission trip 
through crew, yeah, a parachurch ministry at the University of Illinois. We went to Venezuela. Very, I don't know, informative, important chapter. It was five weeks. I got back and I was already kind of in this travel mindset. My sister was going to British Columbia with this church that my family had started attending while I was at college. And I kind of just tagged along. Mm. So we're going to British Columbia, new church, new community. I'm just getting to know everybody. And Alicia and I meet. She's a leader of this kind of youth group that's going out to a First Nations reservation in British Columbia. Mm. And I just remember being impressed with her at the time. And we didn't, you know, talk that much out there, but that's where we met. And then we went on three or four dates. It didn't, wasn't really working. <laughs> it was like her first set of dates. By the way, well, anyway, I won't say that. But it, <laughs> so three or, four, three or four dates in, let's just be friends kind of a thing. But my mom was a huge fan of Leisha's. And she was a guitar vocal instructor and sometimes would have lessons at our house. And so as a way to keep her around, I think, she offered quote-unquote free lessons mm. to Leisha to kind of come to our house regularly for voice lessons or, or guitar lessons or whatever. Meanwhile, we're in this college ministry group together that we're both leaders for. So in that context, we became friends. So five months of that, I, I get to know her more just in a friend circle. We went on dates in the first place because uh, the guy that was mentoring me said, are you, are you dating anybody? I said, no. He said, what are you looking to? I said, no. He said, well, you really should think about dating Leisha Keys, <laughs> which was her main name. And I said, Why? And he said, and he was her pastor all growing up. He said, I've just not met many women of her caliber. And this is a guy I really respected and something he did not seem like was in character for him. Mm. And so I kind of took that to heart and thought, well, at least I want to give this a, a shot. So, yeah. That's amazing. That's amazing. Can I ask who the mentor is? Is he a pastor here He's a pastor. You know, he was in D.C. for a long time, Washington, D.C. Now yeah. he's in Washington, Iowa. Oh, wow. Yeah. That couldn't be more So Exactly, yeah. yeah. Very, I don't know, helpful in the post-college two, three years as far as weekly meetings. And somehow me. knew her. Yeah, he was her youth pastor. That's crazy. So Yeah, that's crazy. Make sure that that's not me. It's um, <laughs> a car alarm going on. So, yeah, he was instrumental in that relationship advice kind of whole. He, he did our premarital counseling with him and his wife. That's amazing. Um, yeah, really, really special. Man, mentorship is huge. I, I don't know how much of that's part of your story. I'm sure it is a part of your faith. But even on the artistry side, do you have any good mentors or even just heroes yeah. here in Nashville you look up to, people you aspire to, to be like as a, as a creative? I would say right out the gate, uh, Ben Shive. He's our producer for the last couple records. Just a, a great guy, a close friend. I just respect when he opens his mouth to talk. I mean, yeah. yeah. Andrew Peterson has been really gracious with his time. Him and his wife, uh, Jamie, have been really, yeah, generous with answering questions, hanging out with us. He's taking us out on the road with them. Yeah, for those who don't know Andrew or The Rabbit Room, which I think is actually 
perhaps one of the like follow-ups to hearing about you guys from Jamie yeah. and Tyler and then hearing about She Waits. What's that all about? Like there's this really cool movement in Nashville of creatives, of artists. They, they seem to all kind of hover around Andrew, mm. but it's not just music. It's also authors. Is that a big part of your story or is that just something you come in and out of through the years? I don't know... I would say we are big fans of what they're doing. We're not we're not involved in trenches, you know, like yeah. week in week out, but we're we're big fans of of Andrew and the Rabbit Room, Pete, his brother. They do a great job of fostering community, mm. you know, kind of Christ-centered. I forget their mission statement, but it's something to do with, you know, fostering some kind of Christ-centered community around these artistic yeah. c- categories of painting, you know, books, music, and and they do such a good job of kind of curating and, and hosting different events for that, to that end. Yeah, it's really cool. I, yeah. I read the first of Andrew's novels. and uh, Oh, what do you think? Yeah, really, really good. I, I need to like find the time to read the next two or three. You know, by the book three, I would say. It really picks up. It really, to me, yeah. it really takes off. That's cool. And I think he even admits to that. Like almost he? like he, he would okay. say, this is through through Tyler Somers, he said that actually, you know, it, you just got to like hang in there. A little yeah. bit like Lord of the Rings. Sometimes you like the, the gold yeah. hits in book two or three yeah. of the trilogy. But actually, if you didn't have all the meat beforehand, yeah. you're not going to actually, it's not going to hit, you know? He'd never written, I don't think, a book before yeah, the first one. It's crazy. crazy that you, yeah, anyway. Uh, and I stand in awe of creatives. I, I know that you're not just a creator. You're one who really appreciates, you know, music and, and books and, and maybe even art. I don't know. Maybe you're a film buff as well. But like, what are the what are the kind of platforms out there that you're you're engaging with pretty consistently? You said you're reading a 2,500 page book right now. Well, it's a book series. It's called The Stormlight Archive. It's by a author named Brandon Sanderson. This guy's machine with regard to how many pages he cranks out just compared to other authors it's in amazing. the same yeah so i think it's 4500 pages so far in this series wow. it's, yeah in the first book it's called the way of kings and i don't know it's just, the world building is is what draws me into his his story in in this what's going to be i think a 10 book series and wow. each one is like longer than the next and the first one was 1100 pages and it's just it's crazy so that one's a lot of, of fun. I read it last year, about a year ago. Somebody at Hutchmoot, which is the Rabbit Room's kind of yearly thing, recommended it, and and now I'm going back and reading it through again. That's amazing. And and you must be a Tolkien fan if you like the invention of these, oh, definitely. these new yeah. worlds. Yeah. I think all these guys are just kind of taking their their cues from not their cues, but I I don't know that there's a fantasy writer no, that, that has that is better, but but that hasn't read Tolkien and been yeah. informed by it. Yeah, no, I think you're exactly right. They're, they're the standard bearers. It's yeah. a little bit like when Thomas Aquinas sat down to write philosophy 800 years ago. He became the reference point for the rest of us, for the rest of mankind mm-hmm. and, and history, you know? Yeah. Tolkien and Lewis, but especially Tolkien. Yeah, he's, especially He's the him. standard bearer for, yeah. for fantasy. Definitely. So that's interesting. And I would put you in a category of uh, precious few singer-songwriters that I've met or that I've encountered through the years that write music in the same way that Tolkien writes literature, you know, I hope this won't go to your head, you know, but like Tolkien had this deeply 
I would call it almost a, a sacramental imagination, meaning he was always seeing beyond the veil mm. without even meaning to because it was so deeply imbued. Like his faith was so much a part of him that it just spilled mm-hmm. over. But it wasn't like he was trying to write songs or in his case, books about the faith. So this is kind of where the Grey Havens falls for me is that there's something captivatingly beautiful and human about what you and Leisha are doing. It doesn't necessarily like fit the mold of top 40 Christian radio, although in most cases, I would say it's it's as good if not better. Hmm. So you don't even have to respond to that. But what I'm curious is how do you guys ride this line of being at once like deeply rooted in something much bigger than you, for example, your faith, but also like riding this line of of engaging people right where they are. Like it, your approach feels very human to me. Hmm. It doesn't feel forced. It hmm. doesn't feel like you're trying to convince the listener of something. You're just simply captivating and hmm. inviting them in. Thanks, man. And I, it's scary. And anytime my name is in the same sentence as, uh, as Tolkien, that's not a, f- that I just kind of, <laughs> There's no uh, going to my head there. It's just not not a good not a good comparison. Uh, but I I so appreciate what you say and and I have uh, just some backstory here as far as like how I got into writing music. I just looked around the landscape of what of Christian music. I think around the time where I was starting to learn songs. So I'd done this kind of American Idol thing in my junior year of high school was on that show, got back, and, and a lot of people were kind of asking to collaborate mm. at that point. So producer, songwriters, you know, but I was still in high school, and a friend of mine said, will you write a song with me? I said, well, I, how do you do that? You know, how do you write a song? He showed me. He just brought out his guitar. Yeah. And we I, we were probably writing about, I don't even know, it was just like whatever you write about in high school. And, but I remember from that moment on, just like the doors were opened. Like this was the key Mm. to like some new thing that I didn't know existed that just captivated me. Mm. You know, I was already going to go to school for choir conducting. I was going to be a choir director. But right before I went to school, I was given this first taste of songwriting. And it was it was a great gift because I loved music, but you know, anytime I would hear there were Christian singer songwriters that I liked, but there were just so few. Mm. And and even the ones I liked, it was like I don't know, not something that was embedding itself into my life. Yeah, it was like, oh, that's good, but really, I wanted to listen to Paul Simon or <laughs> James Taylor or you know something else. So. I just, there was this newfound passion and this deep longing in me to see music made that I liked myself, mm. that had echoes of what's really true, mm. which is that God is real. Jesus is real. He really came here and did everything he said he was going to do. And he's going to come back. And nobody's writing about, you know, in a way that is, is, enchanting me to mm, that good word reality yeah. and so i just started to write songs that i would want to listen to and there was a lot of bad songs yeah i remember i was in the dormitories had pianos in the 
in their basements, which I, I don't know why they did, but I'm so thankful. I mean, I would you're supposed to go down there and do homework, but there's these practice rooms. I just remember anytime I was supposed to be doing homework, I would try to be writing these songs, and they're probably bad, but I remember like go, texting my friends if I finished one, hey, can you come listen to this song? Or if there's no friends, I would run out in the hallway and grab a stranger. Hey, could you come listen to this song I just wrote? And I would like gauge their reaction while I'm playing and, and slowly but surely just you get better and better at it. So I'm glad for starting it. I'd probably start late compared to most, but starting it in a kind of where there's no social media yet, really. And there's no phone culture mm. where, oh, I got this and I'm going to throw it up right now. Mm. See what people think. It was very much a contained, like organic, slow growth. And then after college, it, the Lord just opened up doors. And, and so all this to say, it wasn't going for any quote unquote market or, or anything. It was just wanted to write something that I could be excited by yeah. and, and brought to worship with. And yeah, so that's all. It comes through. It really, really comes through. And I actually would love to just chat about this album. So, you know, we were able to release it the day that it came out. It went out to all of our Love Good patrons. They've been since sharing it. And oh, I think uh, we're about to host a listening party on this album here in Nashville in just a couple of weeks. That's oh, how much we love it. So we'll cool. be like literally sitting down with the lyrics online and not quite like analyzing it, you know, but just contemplating it. Yeah. We kind of have a culture of consumption, not contemplation. And I think music, like any great creative media, books, films, etc., they're, they're meant to help us contemplate, as you put, to enchant us, yeah. to help us sort of enter into the human experience more boldly, more authentically. And uh, obviously, you know, for a Christian, for any person of faith, there's got to be a tapping into the divine, uh, that, uh, that divine spark that's, mm-hmm. that's within each of us. So that is so much of my experience listening to especially this new album. And I had heard some of y'all's older stuff, but when I first got this, I was floored. And the song that probably plays on repeat, even in my heart's mind, and even like in prayer sometimes, it's just not home yet. Mm. And I'm sure we could have a nice long conversation about every song on this album. But that one like hits a chord so hard with me because I feel like I'm constantly living in this tension of the already, but the not yet, you know, like I cannot wait Mm -hmm. for eternity, but I lose sight of the horizon so fast. I forget what life is really all about. Or actually, I just get so like into the present moment that I forget to just keep, you know, my, my at least half of me, a part of me, however Cheshire used to put it, like we're not supposed to bring the heavens into our, our head, you know, but to just kind of like have a constant lifting of our head towards the heavens. Like it's mm-hmm. easy for me to forget to do that, especially in a culture of noise, a culture of distraction, mm-hmm. again, a culture of consumption. So it's the last week in November. When this podcast releases, people have Thanksgiving behind them, Christmas in front of them. You know, what can even a song like this say at this time of the year where there's a lot of emotion, there's a lot of memory that's re- being resurfaced, there's a lot of family joy and family tension. There's this this sense of nostalgia, you know, for what once was and this ache for what once, you know, one day will be. Mm-hmm. This song speaks into all of that for me. Mm-hmm. But what what inspired it for you? Man, this song might be the hardest to write looking back on the process of the record. First of all, the record was supposed to take about six weeks to record, and it ended up taking about a year because of the lyrics 
not being there. Mm-hmm. So plan was we're gonna go into the studio. I'm gonna have two or three songs done because that's all I could get done. We're gonna make the tracks by day, and by morning and night, I'm going to, in theory, come up with the lyrics wow. for the record. And wow. then, and that just failed, totally failed. It was so stressful. It was just a, a very hard six weeks because I just knew every day we're getting closer to to the limit that we can go here with the lyrics that are finished. And this song used to be called Two Trees Betrothed. It was like this metaphor, this esoteric kind of abstract image that I had in my head of... Well, anyway, it, it just morphed so many times into so many different things. But the one thing that kept sticking was the not home yet. And so it, it I want to say it was the one I spent the most time on. And I don't know, the, the song, I think the not home yet, you could have named the record that mm. because that's the sentiment of it all, which is this kind of, we have a foretaste now of of everything that's to come but everything's like you know Lewis would say like uh, an echo from the song you've never heard mm. or the scent of a flower from a far kingdom you've never visited or you know wh- whatever and I feel like that's all we have now and C.S. Lewis once defined joy before he was even uh, even a Christian as an unsatisfied desire more desirable than any satisfaction so an unsatisfied desire, more desirable than any satisfaction. So just the wanting of this one thing is better than the having of anything else. Mm. And in college, I was doing laundry, which was a very rare occurrence. And I was listening to this Randy Alcorn <laughs> message on heaven. And he's kind of famous for, he has a book called Heaven. He has, and I remember that was the first time that I'd ever thought, oh my gosh, like, we're going to heaven. <laughs> it's a real place. It's not just these spirits on harps and, you know, that kind of, like, it, we're going to come back here to a physical, redeemed earth in the presence of Jesus forever. Like, this is just, this is crazy. If this is true, which it, it is, but I just remember thinking, like, why am I not thinking about this? And so that was kind of the spark that ignited. And, and since then, it's kind of been the, the common thread throughout all the music that we have written is just kind of this this embedded like longing, like I want to be there. And so Not Home Yet is a story about somebody coming to faith for the first time, having the kind of the veil lifted from their eyes and and oh my goodness, like this is real. And at the same time, you know, Romans eight, nineteen to twenty-five talks about like creation is waiting with the eager longing for the revealing of the sons of, of God. And we ourselves are waiting, you know, in anticipation, you know, for the redemption of our bodies. Groaning. Yeah, groaning. Yeah. And the moment you get saved, I think that starts. Mm. So we are longing for that. So the the minute you're saved, that longing, which you've probably already had your whole life for for to know God and be reconciled to him. But this this longing of, I'm going to see him again, and I can't wait for that, starts. Mm. And so it's kind of this tension of, 
I'm home, but I'm not. Yeah, yeah. And and so that's what the, kind of that song is. It's the strangest thing to say out of context, but I think that's what this album does for me. It helps me groan. Hmm. You know, yeah. it helps me long for yeah. the things of eternity. Hey, real quickly, before we transition and talk about this children's book and how we can support the album, even on Spotify and Apple yeah. Music and everything else, people are going to kill me if I don't ask because I think a lot of people have ideas, at, okay. least, at least in my little community of friends, patrons, fellow artists. Who is she? Okay, so there's two different answers. <laughs> the she in the title track... The first song of the record is creation. Going back to Romans 8, 19, but the creation itself waits with eager longing for the revealing of, son, of the sons of God. So creation's freedom happens at the moment where it beholds a glorified, redeemed population of the sons and daughters of God in the presence of God. Mm. That's, that's, that's it. They're free when that happens. And so that's the first song. But there's also different songs on the record where there's this scene of a girl waiting. And so track two is is like a wife waiting to be re- reunited with her husband, not in marriage, but just, I'm going to see you again one day. And and there's hope in that. And so in a song called Three Birds in Babylon, the church is kind of on the doorstep of entreating unbelievers to to toward belief and there's kind of a sense of waiting there and you know there's a few more instances too on the record where there's this the church is waiting you know and yeah. so there's two answers to that i guess i would say david turns out you're not just a poet but a, a bit of a theologian there as well super super inspiring maybe a philosopher in 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 the midst of it all man it's really really inspiring tell us about this children's book you're obviously married you've got a three-year-old it seems like a lot of artists right now are putting out children's book we just really? released matt mars christmas children's book to oh, all of cool. our patrons i know ellie holcomb just had one that came out yeah something about like uh, the, the who sang the first song really really good but oh, what cool. inspired gray flowers this is great so this is a story about a color-coded town Okay, it's called Gray Flowers. And the only rule in the town is the color gray is not allowed. Mm. And so a man, not from the town, he comes and falls in love with a woman and he gives her gray flowers, which is the only rule and he breaks it. Mm. And so the town then kind of splits into two camps. One, now that they've seen the color, they kind of become entrenched in their hatred for the color and they want it to go away. And the other half wants it to stay now that they've seen it. And grays is really grace. Ah. And the officials are kind of like the Pharisees of the town. And the man is kind of representative of yeah. of Jesus. And it's kind of the, just this way to explain grace to your kid. What what does that mean? Mm. What does it mean to to show grace to somebody? I love and it. So, yeah. It's a friend of mine who wrote a song called Grace Guys. And she basically says that it's only in light of a gray sky that we can see the color, you know, and mm-hmm. everything else. I'm paraphrasing horribly here, but that's exactly what grace is. You know, it's the thing that, that colors everything mm-hmm. else. Yeah. So, man, this is great. How can we support the children's book? How can people continue to get the word out about the yeah. album? I mean, with regard to the book, I mean, you could buy 27 copies and that would be, that would support it. <laughs> that would do it. Or just tell your friends. If you have a mom or dad friend who has little kids, you know, this is this is a book that's probably going to be something they could enjoy, or nieces, nephews, whatever. And as far as the record, you know, if you shared it with friends, that would be immensely helpful. That's great. Yeah. And it's all over Spotify, Apple Music. Spotify, yeah. The everywhere. book is on Amazon. 
The book is on our website. So thegrayhavensmusic.com, G-R-A-Y. That's where you want to go, thegrayhavensmusic.com. I'm thinking The Gray Flowers, this this great new children's book, is a perfect Christmas gift, a little bit of a stocking stuffer. And man, Dave, just such a privilege to have sat down with you today. Thanks I'm so, so excited to watch your career, Leisha's career, continue to unfold and just know that you've got a, a massive and growing fan base in this corner of planet Earth. So uh, keep you. up the good work. Thank you so much for having me. Now the long night is over and the morning begins. Now the door is open wide and you're walking in And oh, now your fears are gone They were buried in the dawn Welcome back to the Love Good Podcast, everybody. I don't know if you could tell that conversation with Dave brought me so much joy. He's such a bro. I mean, he's not just this incredibly talented artist, but we just had such a good time together. And honestly, like we just have so many artists in the world who are just waiting to be discovered, waiting to be patronized, waiting to be invested in. And what a joy that our patrons have had that privilege, you know, having the Grey Havens featured in our December package. Many of you have already been listening to their digital music, either on our fall mixtape, by the way, which is still available at lovegoodculture.com slash free. Not only the Grey Havens, but a bunch of other artists as well. But their album has actually already been delivered to all of our patrons. It's about to be re-delivered in a few days, the same time the December package goes out. This is our opportunity, you know, to rally behind these artists that we can believe in, who get what life is about, and who want to truly transform culture from the inside out. What a joy. And this is sort of the big lead up to the announcement about how you can become a Love Good patron absolutely for free, which means you're going to get not only the Grey Havens' new album, She Waits, you're also going to get Matt Marr's new Christmas album, his children's book, a beautiful wall calendar for 2019. You're going to get a Love Good ornament. It's really an exciting, exciting time of the year. And for us, I would say this is the best package we have ever sent out to our patrons. So do not delay. Go to lovegoodculture.com slash grayhavens. That's G-R-A-Y-H-A-V-E-N-S. That'll be also in the show notes of this podcast. So lovegoodculture.com slash grayhavens and become a patron and know that you're rallying like never before behind this growing movement of artists who want to change the world by way of beauty. You guys are amazing. Know what a absolute tremendous privilege it is for me to host this podcast every week to be a part of this growing community we love you guys have a wonderful start to december we'll see you next week peace thanks for tuning in to season two of the love good podcast tell your friends all about us stay in touch on social media and be sure to stop by itunes or stitcher to give us a review You can join our movement today by subscribing as a patron at lovegoodculture.com. Start enjoying our seasonal packages that will raise your standard for media and inspire you to build a better culture. We can't wait to accompany you as you change the world.